Yeah, you mentioned about when I know that something's been yeah, sort of, yeah. hidden. Yeah, I mean, I won't go into specifics, but uh, what I would say is that when you raise a, a record on SharePoint, the record ID number is sequential, even if you backdate it. So yeah, just a bit of food before that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't use SharePoint. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's over Google. We get some value when we get our piece of paper from them, but what actually are we getting back apart from that piece of paper? Should we now be looking at different ones and almost getting them to pitch to us rather than just going, you come in, here's our money. Why I, want, why I started writing the articles was to try and share that that excitement and that passion that I have for the for the subject, but also just to demystify it a little bit. Did you get much involved in also accreditation? No. 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 I was actually, when you used to get audited for things, I was always asked to be out of the office. It doesn't surprise me. Was your paperwork taken out of the drawer as well? Yeah. I was always, two times of the year when I was always asked to be out of the office. One was for ISO 9001. You know, when they come and say, right, take us through the process. Yeah, I was always out for that day. And the other one was stock take, which I used to think was amazing. Yeah, people would pay not to do stock take. I know. And I was just... Oh, do you want to come in on a Sunday? Yeah. You get a pizza. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, right, just, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the middle of December. Yeah, they just, they, just, they just didn't trust my accounting. And the thing is, I was trying. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, you know people who are like, you're making a the coffee, they make it that bad. Yeah. Then I was, you'd made it that bad, don't get us again. I was trying to do a proper job. <laughs> well, I met Andrew. Uh, he came when he was a junior auditor, like hadn't even qualified properly at that stage. Yeah. So kept in touch with him for years. But he's been off to Australia now. Now he's moved on in a new, uh, new position now. But again, I thought it was... I thought it was an interesting podcast. I think people are a bit frightened of the auditor or the, the guy who comes out and does the kind of accreditations. There's almost a bit of a fear factor, but looking at what he's been writing for us in the magazine and obviously take a listen to the podcast, hopefully it'll maybe spin this around. And don't look at it as a kind of one to miss. Just be like, oh God, it's about audit. It's going to be boring. This is an interesting podcast. And I think, you know, accreditation and quality is so relevant you know, take a listen. It might kind of uh, reinvent the wheel for you a bit. Hey guys, Peter and Mike, the Metal Guys. We're here with Andrew Milner. Welcome back from Australia. How are you? Good day, guys. Yeah, I'm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Was that planned? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Good to um, be back. We've we've met uh, Andrew was an auditor in the UK for many years. So we met when I was running my previous business, but could you just give everyone a bit of a background of who you are and why you're in the industry sector? Sure, um, so Andrew Milner, I'm currently a senior auditor for one of the, the leading certification bodies globally. Uh, my career prior to becoming a, a full-time external auditor, I, I worked in the quality department for an aerospace manufacturing organization, which is also where I did my apprenticeship. Uh, so I'm kind of a, a bit unusual in, in, in some respects um, that I went straight into quality from, from college pretty much, did my apprenticeship, uh, worked in quality for a couple of years and then moved into external auditing. And I've recently just taken a new role with an organization in Australia that does 3D printing of parts for motorsport and aerospace applications. 
So you're kind of moving back the other side of the fence then? Yeah, kind of like a poacher turned gamekeeper, then back to poacher again, I guess. First question, and which is the most important question, is how did Pete pass an audit? <laughs> Before we get into the serious stuff, I just need to know. Because with, with great difficulty. Was it, was it great, what was the most difficult thing if you were, uh, you know, go back to the time uh, where well, it was, was it was he just after an ISO nine thousand and one? <laughs> Something like that, hey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a reaccreditation. I already yeah. had it. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, no 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 compliance issue. Sweet, straight through. Easy peasy. No, no, the, the the lunch was very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the, that's the key, Mike. Get them good mm. sandwiches. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, dear. Um, let's start with quality. In your, as the elevator pitch to quality, tell us in as few words as possible, what, what, what is your opinion? What is quality? Okay, so that's a, that's a good question. So to me, quality, it's all about doing the right thing every time. And really at the heart of quality is customer satisfaction, right? So it's producing a conforming product on time, right first time, every time in, in line with the customer's expectations. Good answer. That was the elevator pitch. <laughs> now, we met, I don't know, how many years ago was it now? Because you, you just been, started one. Yeah, it would have been early 2017. Yeah, early 2017. Now, we've kept in touch. I think what's quite interesting is we kind of kept in touch because you disappeared off to us three years ago, was it? Yeah, mid-2019 I moved. Yeah, and we, I think it's interesting how, you know, we built our business through LinkedIn and building those kind of connections. We've just kind of touched base over that period of time. Recently started writing for us for our magazine, so thanks for joining us right at the outset with that. But how did that position come up to move to Oz? Because effectively you're moving all the way over the other side of the world. Can you just talk about how that happened? Yeah, sure. So Australia um, currently has a, a rapidly growing aerospace and defense sector. So in terms of my specialism as, a, as an auditor, I mean, these days you, you tend to have two pathways as a certification body auditor. There's the, the more general, what we call IMS route, which is quality, environment, health and safety. Or there's the more specialist route where you, you tend to specialize in an industry like medical, automotive, aerospace. For myself, that, that's aerospace. Uh, there's a lot of investment going on in Australia right now with building defense capability. So building uh, parts for aircraft, ships, um, land vehicles, that, that's uh, quite a, a hot topic right now. Um, so as they're standing up that capability, they have a requirement for local companies to be involved in that. And I'm a, a lead auditor for the AS9100 series of standards. So AS9100 is the industry quality standard for aerospace, space, and defense. And it's quite a niche standard in that part of the world. There's not a lot of people that can do it. Uh, we had a, a need for a resource in Australia and uh, they offered the, the position to the team in, in the UK, uh, put, put myself forward, got the opportunity. And then the next thing I was um, on my way to Melbourne with a suitcase and I've been there for the last three years. How did you find the, the move over there? Uh, it was a big life experience, yeah. I mean, I, I've grown up in, in, in this part of the world, in, in the Midlands, and uh, never lived more than say half an hour away from, from home and didn't go to uni, as I mentioned earlier, I took, took the apprenticeship route. So it was, it was a big deal for me. It was hard at first, you know, trying to find somewhere to live, uh, trying to make friends, but I'm so glad that I did it, you know, real transformative experience. And um, yeah, I just couldn't imagine not doing it now. Best how, thing I've done. 
What made you take the apprenticeship route instead of university? So good luck with that drink of water. You got no chance. <laughs> so uh, it was. Um, I, I guess when I was when I was eighteen, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, like like most people. And uh, I thought that university was, was a lot of money. I was the first year that they put the tuition fees up to, was it £9,000 a year now? And I thought, well, that's a lot of money it, just, just to do something for three years, right? So I wanted to go straight into the workplace uh, so I could actually get more practical experience. I could have a go at different things and, and find what I like. And there was an apprenticeship going at, uh, at GE, General Electric, uh, in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. So I took that opportunity. It was more, more of a business apprenticeship, really. So I'm not actually a, a qualified engineer. I went more of a, a business route in, into quality. So it was like a, a business apprenticeship in, in stuff like purchasing, materials, planning. And there was a quality element as part of that. And I think I just, just hit the jackpot, really. I found a, a department of the business that I really liked. And it seems to lend itself quite well to my skills and, and my personality. So really lucky that I found that at a young age. But I think if I'd gone to uni, I don't think I would have been exposed to that. I think when um, people talk about quality in our sector, everyone needs an ISO 9001. And it can be seen as a bit of a, a tick you know, in the box, when you get a new supplier, have they got 9,000? Yeah, okay, bang, right, tick that, send it over to the QA department with your certificate, done. Again, I might, this might be my misconception, but at the time when I was a bit younger and we were doing it, it seemed like oh, we just need to have this piece of paper. And I didn't necessarily think it kind of added any value to the business other than it was a tick in the box. What would you say are those kind of common misconceptions of businesses? And why do you think there is actually value rather than just turning up and ticking that box to getting people like yourself into organisations to come and talk to them about what they're doing, in your, in your opinion? Sure, yeah. So I think for, first and foremost, I think the, the ISO standards and other international standards, it gives you standardisation. So it essentially gives you a framework for quality within the business. So you know that if an organization is ISO 9001 certified, that they'll have a process for dealing with complaints. They'll have a, or they should have a process for dealing with complaints. They have a process for managing risks. They have a process for operational control. Uh, it just gives you that, that confidence in, in the organization. Uh, also, with it being audited by a third party, you have that element of impartiality as well. It's not just them saying themselves that they do all of these things. They've actually got the accountability of somebody going in once a year and, and verifying that they're doing it. Okay. Okay. When we would have our ISO 9001, we'd get ourselves prepared before you turned up. It's almost like, right, we need to make sure, as you said, you, you mentioned some of these things, right? Make sure all our uh, credit notes have been documented properly because we know you're going to check those. Make sure we trace back to check what happened with them and we've documented if there was any complaints and how they've been resolved. And you're almost cleaning up your paper trail. You probably shouldn't say that. But I'm just saying that's what we were doing some of the time, just making sure that for you, you could come in and just tick through. But what have been the things that you've kind of seen that have been maybe the biggest eye-openers for you in terms of going into businesses and seeing maybe bigger businesses, you don't need to name them, where they maybe have been cutting corners or they've been doing things that you just think are a bit questionable or a bit close to the bone, should I say? So you made an interesting point there at the start. You said that you prepared for, for the audit. Right. Yeah, you prepared for the audit. So my, my uh, ethos has always been you shouldn't have to prepare. Um, you know, really, you, the system work, works for you. 
uh, you shouldn't have to, to work for the system sort of thing. Like it's there to give you a minimum level of compliance. It's there to help improve customer satisfaction and, and product quality. And really the the, the best answer that I, I get from a, from a quality manager is when they say they don't they don't prepare for an audit. They, they set the system up in a way that it's user friendly. It, it serves the business. Uh, and that's that's the way the way it should be. But you know, I, I still understand. You know, people like to be prepared. They they like to know that they've got all the ducks in the row, so to speak. But I, I think as an outsider, we, we we can tell. You know, we we can tell. I think um, how we can tell is um, if I'm going out onto the shop floor, for example. I um, you know, I want to hear it from from the person that I'm speaking to, and if I'm getting all the answers from the quality manager or the person that looks after the certifications, you know, then we start to doubt, well, is this just like a pitch that they prepare once a year for my audit? Or, you know, are they actually living and breathing this stuff? This podcast is sponsored by the UK Metals Expo. After the successful launch of this event in 2022, the UK Metals Expo will be back at the NEC in Birmingham on the 13th and 14th of September 2023. For podcast listeners, you can secure a 20% discount for booking a stand by quoting the Metal Guys Talk Business when speaking to the event organisers about booking. The UK Metals Expo is an industry event connecting the full supply chain from primary metal manufacture through supply chain, processing, fabrication, surface coating and all the way through to recycling. Effectively, as they used to say in the old days, from melt to market. With full endorsement from the UK Metals Council, its trade members and other industry bodies, the show had great initial credentials and has the potential, in my opinion, to become a huge annual event in the UK, drawing exhibitors and attendees from across the UK and further overseas. With free-to-attend seminars taking place inside the show, it's definitely an event not to be missed by anyone with a career in or around the metal industry. We certainly enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you in 2023. But for now, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, you mentioned about when I know that something's been... Yeah, yeah. hidden. Yeah, I mean, I won't go into specifics, but uh, what I would say is that when you raise a, a record on SharePoint, the record ID number is sequential, even if you backdate it. So yeah, just a bit of food before that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't use SharePoint. Is it same with Google? Possibly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just just want to be aware of if if you create a record and try and backdate it, you know, it's pretty obvious because the the ID number it's given is sequential, and we do have an eye for these things. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Questions will get asked. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. I think. Um, you know, with, with my business, we were a small business. You know, there was only max, you know, six, seven staff at any one point. So we didn't have a quality manager, so to speak. We didn't have a quality department. You know, you're all trying to do juggle hats within the business. You know, one minute you might be picking a pack and you might be driving a lorry up to drop an order off. Next minute you're doing purchasing or sales or, you know, or accounts or admin. So it's difficult then to be doing everything like a larger organization would where they've got that kind of specific chain of command and essentially they've got a department that's looking after quality and then pushing that message across. So for smaller businesses, you know, SMEs where they maybe haven't got that department but still need to have those accreditations in place. How would you say to those companies that it would be best to kind of set themselves up or gear themselves up so that it becomes part and parcel of what they're doing day to day Sure. So I think a, a really great place to start would actually be by purchasing a copy of the standard. 
uh, and mapping out each of the clauses against what they actually do. Because what I find is sometimes that the business will be doing what's in the standard, but it's just written in a different way. You know, the, the ISO standards um, have to be translated into so many different languages. They're written in a, a very, um, to be honest, quite strange form of English, um, some of the clauses. Um, due, but obviously it's because they have to be translated in, in so many different languages. But actually, when you when you read up on, on what, what it actually means, you know, they're, they're probably d doing it already. So I think a good, good, good place to start would be to actually run some kind of compliance matrix. This is the requirement of the standard. This is what we actually do. Uh, and just, just sort of baseline yourself where, where you're at. Uh, and then where you've got any gaps, um, that's when you've got to be a bit creative, really. And I think, well, how do we demonstrate compliance, but do it in a way that's not onerous? It's it's not adding extra process of unnecessary processing and and time to people's um, job. And I mean, another thing I, I'd say as well is is where possible, maybe go on a course or LinkedIn Learning or something and learn how to implement it yourself. I mean, I, I have many friends that are, are consultants and you know consultants consultants are great you know they they, they do a really good job but for, for a small company i'd say where possible if it's not a complicated standard that you're going for if it's quite a widely adopted standard like 9001 for example i think for a, a small business there's probably no reason why you, you couldn't learn to implement it yourself and at least then you keep it within the company uh, you have full control over it and then you create something that works for you I think we were quite lucky because when, when we first looked to get our ISO 9001 accreditation, we were um, kind of woefully underprepared for it. Uh, we purchased the book, as you do, started to read through it and just thought, I can't quite make head and a tail of what I'm meant to be doing here. Um, and again, because of being a small business, you sometimes look at it and think, well, this is written for, you know, it's a catch-all for someone who's turning over billions and has got hundreds or thousands of staff, the same as someone who might be a one or two man band who is still needing that compliance. So I'd be interested, you've said about maybe getting a consultant in, which is fine, but are there things that some of these companies are doing where you can almost go online and rather than read the tome or the book, actually be like, right, this is what you need to be doing and this is an example of how you could look at doing that section of these standards. Is there any kind of online learning that you can do? Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's, there's courses on LinkedIn Learning. A lot of the certification bodies um, offer um, training courses as well. They'll, they'll have a training and, and learning division as part of the company. Uh, I'd probably recommend just going to a, a company, maybe a, a peers organization that has ISO 9001 certification, seeing how that they do things and seeing what, what you can learn from them. And I mean, just going back to my, my point earlier about consultancy, you know, I think you know, consultancy has a place, but from experience, what, what I do see sometimes is you'll have a consultant which will have a very vanilla template which they use at many different organizations and whilst it might get them over the line in terms of the certification it might not be right for that business you know they might not be measuring stuff that's necessarily right for that company the, the forms and templates they're using might not really suit what that company does as well as they could do so i think for a smaller organization that's why i'd always recommend you try and get stuck in yourself and you roll your sleeves up and, and have a go yourself. And uh, also a lot of um, certification bodies actually offer a, a gap analysis as well. So I, I've done a, a few of these in my time. So it's basically where you have a company that's uh, looking to implement 
uh, an international standard. They're preparing for their stage one, stage two audit. And the gap analysis, we're, we're allowed to do one before the initial certification, is essentially where we go in, treat it like an initial audit, but they don't get uh, non-conformities uh, as such. They basically get a, a report that says, well, these would be the non-conformities. Here's the gaps in your system. And then you've actually got time then to, to go and fix it before the initial certification. You know, you mentioned earlier on in the podcast about aerospace and it's becoming quite mm. a big growth area in Australia. Obviously, to get the accreditation, an aerospace accreditation, is quite a difficult accreditation to get your mm. get your hands on. How How's that going on in Australia? How are people, how quick are people being able to get ready to get that accreditation to start helping the industry grow? Is that is that a, is that a problem? I mean, I, th I think it, it, it's certainly been a challenge. I mean, there's a lot less certified organizations in, in that part of the world. Yeah. And I think in, in the UK, last time I checked the database, there was uh, probably a couple of thousand organizations based in the UK that hold AS9100 series certification. Australia are about 120 currently, possibly a bit, bit less because that's 120 sites, but there could be companies that have multiple locations under the same ownership. Uh, the challenge before was that there wasn't really a lot of organizations offering that certification. So um, just for anybody listening that's, that's not familiar with how certification works, um, for schemes like um, aerospace and, and automotive and medical, you have to hold what's known as an accreditation. So an accreditation is a an approval, I guess, for us as the certification body that says we're competent to to deliver that, that service. I mean, of course, you know, you, you wouldn't want anybody just handing out certification and not knowing what they're doing. And actually, there's something to be aware of for, for ISO standards. I, I do see quite a few companies out there that aren't accredited. And whilst it's not illegal, you know, it can, can be done, it's, I would question the value of it, to be, to be honest. So like I work for an accredited certification body, uh, which hold an accreditation. So it's like a memorandum of understanding with the government, with industry, that we have a, a certain level of competence and, and expertise. A bit like with calibration, for example, if you go to a calibration lab and it has UCAS accreditation, you know that they're working in accordance with certain methodologies and, and principles that are internationally recognized. Um, so it's the same in, in, in management system certification. So yeah, before in, in Australia, there wasn't really many com uh, certification bodies that could offer that. Uh, there are... Uh, more options are available now, which is which is good for the industry, I guess. And I think the I suppose the the good thing though has has been the fact that AS ninety one hundred is written from nine thousand and one. So it's, the way I describe it to, to clients is it's basically like, like nine thousand and one on steroids. So <laughs> that's one way of putting it. So you'll have your nine thousand and one requirements, and then uh, you'll have your special requirements for aerospace, space, and defence on on top of that. With um, I mean, look, there's there's plenty of accreditation bodies out there, and as you said, it's best to get an accreditation from someone who's accredited, yeah, by someone else. So, uh, cert certification. Sorry, yes, yeah. certification bodies. Yeah, yeah sorry. Um, <laughs> when you when you look at picking someone to come and do your certification for you, because it seems when when I was in the industry, I was looking and saying, right, you know, Lloyd's TV, Detnor Verisas, you'd have like you you kind of bigger more well-known ones and sometimes we had to buy material it'd be like we need material this type of material but it has to be from a company that's approved by say lloyds or dmv or t and it was a right pain in the ass because you'd be looking and thinking this material is fine it meets the accreditation why am i having to kind of go specifically to one or the other 
is it typical for companies to have multiple accreditations from all these different certification houses? Or is it becoming more the norm that people are looking and going, well, actually, why am I choosing to use this one when I can choose someone cheaper? Are people gazumping each other more in that area now? Or are companies being a bit more savvy? Or Because it seemed to me we just went, it was at the time, we just went to Lloyd's and we were like, we'll just go to Lloyd's. We didn't even look at anyone else. But is that changing now that companies are really looking and going, well, what value are we getting from those companies rather than just, again, it's a tick in the box? Oh, um, absolutely. And that's a really good question, actually. So I'd, I'd say first and foremost, you uh, you need to choose a certification body, really, that, that's accredited. Well, I'll say you need to, you don't have to, but if you, if you choose an accredited certification body, you know you know it's, it's the full ticket uh, and they'll be working to, uh, to, to rules um, and they'll be subject to oversight from the accreditation body as well. I just want to, I want to know more about the, um, it's almost the why. Why should we pick one over the other? And is there, are companies now looking and thinking, yeah, we, we get some value when we get our piece of paper from them, but what actually are we getting back apart from that piece of paper? Should we now be looking at different ones and almost getting them to pitch to us rather than just going, you come in, here's our money. That's what I kind of want to know. Is that changing? Because when I was doing it, we didn't do that. We hadn't got that approach. And I just wonder if things are moving on now where companies are going, actually, we, we want to see a bit more value out of these companies rather than just we pay them and we get the paper. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, there, there is differences between certification bodies. I, I'm fortunate. I feel like I, I've worked for one of the best. Uh, in terms of the the added value that that we provide, I've worked with some very skilled, very experienced people, and and our ethos was always we we audit the client, we we make sure they they meet minimum compliance, but but we take a more risk based approach, right? So uh, we're looking for ways in which they could go beyond compliance. You know, we 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 try and add value to the audit through looking at opportunities where they could improve in certain areas and. And the report as, as, as well is, is part of that. So you'll find some certification bodies uh, will have a very, dare I say, tick and flick type report where they're auditing based on, on clauses. And it's very much like a checklist. I personally, I, I hate working to checklists because I feel that having a, a more open book approach means we focus on risk. So we, okay, okay we've we got to make sure you, you meet minimum requirements for compliance. But I find sometimes a checklist can almost push you down a certain path and it can make you too focused on just looking for minimum compliance with the standard. With with my experience as, as an external auditor, I'm I'm trying to, of course, look look for compliance with the standard, but try and focus on where there's more risk. And I feel the danger with using checklists too much is you, you look for for minimum compliance. Yeah, have they got a document or a procedure that meets this requirement? Yeah, here it is. Write it down. Yeah, tick. Next question. And some certification bodies will, will take that approach. I, I personally don't believe in, in in that approach. Some companies might like it though. You know, some companies just want the certificate on the wall so that they can they can supply a certain customer. Uh, but I, I, th- I find that the companies that are more passionate about continuous improvement, they want to improve, uh, they want to get better, that they'll go to a more premium certification body that offers that. So yeah, I think uh, expertise of, of the auditors and, and the approach is definitely one factor. Availability of, of resource uh, locally as well can, can be a factor. Customer service too. Price, of course, that, that, that's a factor. 
ability to offer other standards too. So you mentioned earlier about other certifications. So 9001 is, is the largest standard globally, uh, but we're also seeing quite a lot of demand now for 14001, which is for environmental compliance, and 45001, which is health and safety. And then on top of that, you have your more specialist standards as well, like for medical, automotive, aerospace. And I think really any certification body that's capable of offering that suite um, if, the, if the company's looking to, to grow and they're looking at getting into those markets, that would be a real draw card, I guess. Yeah, no, no, good answer. When you're really small and you're first starting out and you're in that kind of year, six months to a year, 18, you're just trying to grow your business. You're just trying to start. So you're almost, you're doing a job. Like I look at back when I started with my dad, all we did was buy material for companies mm-hmm. and then the, we got the material to them that was all we did now there was a quality procedure in terms of we had to buy it from a mill that had accreditation and we picked a shipping agent that wouldn't damage the material and we got it through but it was just literally we had to have that accreditation if we wanted to make money from that that place to that place but when you're really small you just like what a ball like this is like we're basically having to create a whole load of paperwork for ourselves to say that we're doing what we're already doing but then, of course, as you then get that little bit further down the line and a few more people come in, because it's not just yourself doing it and you've got to rely on other people to make sure that you get from A to B, it then all of a sudden makes sense and you're like, right, we definitely, definitely need this. Because when you're a business, say, like pizza or stock services or our size now at Compton Group and you had like, someone asked us um, last year, you need to get ISO because it just it just cement you for glo- like to get into doing mm-hmm. like global recruiting for their other branches. And we're like, and we're just, but really, you're too small. You're doing it for the benefit of going. We get, we make more money. That's why. That's why we're doing it. Which is why some people must go to be. I want to do aerospace. That's an industry we can get into at the moment. Say in Australia, and we're going to make it will grow the business massively if we get that accreditation. But say you're small, you're almost doing it for the wrong the wrong reason. The, the thoughts behind that. But say for instance, when I worked in bigger organisations, when it changed, I remember like. ISO 14001, what you're saying there about the but I mean when that become more regularly asked, where it was almost like, okay, we've got we've got to implement, have that within our business now. There's a whole benefit then, because you start to see this is a quality procedure. And then you're looking at the maybe from a supplier point of view, you're going, well, when's the last rejection's been? Oh, it's always come from from the same, the same manufacturer. People are putting the orders on incorrectly. That's a training issue. And then you can see, you know, all this kind of thing that happened where you're looking at your quality manual. As it a business, benefit, it has its benefit. And as you've got other multiple sites, if you didn't have a procedure, it would just be a complete mess. And it, it was almost like saying, really, it's when you perhaps start, it, having a quality system's a pain, mm. which is what Pete, Pete was kind of saying in a, in a nice mm. about way. But then as you grow, you almost... Oh, you, you, you couldn't. Absolutely. You could not have one. Yeah, I mean, because it just got, brings structure to a, a business. A great example of that, actually. One of my my smallest clients in in, in Australia. I mean great little business they're really going places they um, started up a, a few years ago it's a, a husband and wife operation yeah. i was the first auditor to actually go to their, their premises all, all the auditors before me it was a spare bedroom in the house sort of thing yeah. um, and they've, they've grown quite a bit you know they've got some some really exciting contracts they've um, employed some some more staff now and i asked them this question once i said well you know you're really small business you know when, when you started there was just the two of you and, and you had the they actually had the they have as9120 which is um, aerospace space and defense standard for stockholders um, they, they sell fasteners amongst yeah. other things 
I said, well, what, what was the, the benefit to you? Like, why, why did you go for, for the certification so early? And really the, the response was, well, first of all, they needed it to, to actually get a seat at the table with, with some of the big primes. And then also um, sc scalability, like now they, they have um, staff working there. If they want to go uh, away on a trip, maybe a business development trip or something like that out of the office for a few days, they know that they've got systems and processes that work. And that as long as people follow those processes for putting in an order or, or picking stock, you know, as long as you follow the process, you, you can't really go go too far wrong. So as a business owner, it gives them a lot more confidence that when they're not there, things still get done the way they expect. This podcast is sponsored by Amron Architectural. Amron Architectural are a company that I've been working with for nearly two years now, and the business has grown rapidly over that time. Um, very experienced staff, uh, very knowledgeable within the architectural interior design space. Um, the ethos of the company is to kind of inspire choice, engage uh, and work with metals and meshes of all different types. They work with classic woven meshes all the way through to bespoke profile cladding panels and uh, you know the experience of the guys there is I, I would say it's it's right up there in the um, in the UK. They've developed a full range of systems for all aspects of internal and external environments from bespoke ceilings, gantry systems, specialised partitions to large external facade systems and, and pretty much everything in between. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about these guys is um, they're, they're interested in clients' ideas, they like to talk to clients, they like to know what's happening and develop the systems that fit with the, with the trends but also the design requirements um, of the architects in the industry and the and the clients, so yeah, a company that definitely go in places. It's great to have them as a as a sponsor of the podcast. Um, and if you're looking to create those exciting internal and external designs, then um, these are the guys to talk to. Yeah, how about um, you know companies that maybe you mentioned there? You've you've seen them right at the start and then you've kind of seen them as they've kind of grown but any examples of, of benefits where you've gone back to a company and you think you know they've done this and it's either netted them more money or they've been more efficient with their throughput or you know reduced risk or anything like that that you can talk about yeah yeah sure i've got a I've got a couple of examples actually i think generally the the benefits that i've seen through through my audits have been either re reducing risk or improving efficiency somehow um, so I think in terms of the, the risk reduction, and I think late, later on we'll talk a little bit about my common findings that I come across during, during audits. Um, one of them, which I'll, I'll sort of get into just now, is contract review. So the, the standard has a requirement when you receive a purchase order to actually um, check that document through, make sure that you can comply with, with the requirements. Now I was really surprised, you know, the number of companies I've been to that don't actually have a particularly good process for doing that. But then when you actually dig into the, the purchase order and you read the small print, sometimes there's some really critical stuff in there. And, and if you can't comply with it, you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk, right? In, in terms of liquidated damages potentially, they could cancel your, your, your contract. I mean, it is a, a legally binding document in a lot of cases. So there's a, there's a lot of risk. A lot, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's just a purchase order for some, some material, but there could be some, some small print in there that could trip you up. 
And one of my uh, most common findings actually is organizations not having a robust process for that or missing something in the terms and conditions. And I've been to a, a couple of organizations where as a result of findings and nonconformities, they put in place a much better process. And they said, well, it's quite difficult to quantify, but it's probably uh, reduced their exposure to risk quite considerably because now they have more confidence in that process. They've got a way of ratifying what, what's in there and I guess making a, a, a no a go no go decision up front whether to, to take on that order, and then on the efficiency side of things, I had a really good example last year with, with an aerospace client. Uh, aerospace, they, we have this um, this term called FOD, FOD, foreign object debris, uh, which is talked about a lot. So of course you you don't want um, little bits and loose articles getting into aerospace parts. A company was, was manufacturing um, PCBs, right? Printed circuit boards and uh, printed circuit board. Yes, that there is a, an element of risk with, with FOD, although it's, it's not, a, a, I wouldn't say it's a huge risk, you know, compared to maybe like an assembly where you're actually making um, boxes and, and sealing them, you know, anything could, could, could drop in there potentially. But you know, it's just still a risk. And, and I asked them, well, how, how do you manage this then? And I said, well, you know, they, they show me the procedures, the, the work instruction, um, how they, they educate the operators and that side of things. And then there was this um, guy who every morning he was going out and doing a, a FOD audit. And I looked at the records and for weeks and weeks and weeks, there was never any findings because like I said earlier, printed circuit boards tend to be packaged up and put into an assembly further downstream intrinsically because it's not, a, a, it's not actually a sealed assembly, it's a board. Um, there's not really a, a, a huge risk, right? You know, you, you, it's going to be pretty obvious if, if something's there that, that, that shouldn't be. It's not like a, a box assembly where something could drop in and not be seen. Um, benches were really clean. I think they had quite a, a good level of compliance. I said, well, is this really a good use of this, of this guy's time? You know, every morning going and auditing his, his peers, basically, and doing this tick box activity. And I think through the discussion, what they found was they were maybe going well above and beyond what they needed to do. And we, we kind of agreed that they had a trend. They had weeks of data where there was no findings. And you know, they, they ultimately looked at relaxing that requirement a bit. So he's maybe just doing it once a week, still ma maintaining a good level of compliance. But I think his time was much better spent looking at something else. And, and they, I think they got a lot of value from that. Yeah. No, no, I understand. Yeah, I mean, we were even looking at one point, we were going to put a packing procedure in. I had to pack a box, I had to put the things in, and it was like, come on, guys, like, this is just so OTT. What, what is the point of this, really? But no, interesting. Um, do you find the kind of the same? I, I wanted to ask about common problems, mm -hmm. things that people are making mistakes the same old way, because all you, you must see stacks of businesses. So you're in that unique position where you can see uh, best practice and in your mind's eye, what best practice would be in these sectors. So what are the common cock-ups for want of a better better phrase? So uh, that's really, really interesting question, actually. Um, I, was look, I was looking at this the, <laughs> the other day. Uh, I was looking at um, some of my, my own data on non-conformities. Um, yeah, and I'm quite happy just to go through some of the most common ones with you, actually. So, I mean, first of all, is the, the auditor's favorite, calibration. Uh, so, you know, I've been doing this job a few years now. I swear I've developed a sixth sense for, for labels yeah. that are showing a, a date that's that's in the past. I mean, that that to be honest, that, that one is just, I don't know, like it's, 
you can have the best calibration process out there, but it, you know, sometimes mistakes happen, things go under the radar. Obviously, as a quality manager, you, you can't be supervising people all, all day long. Unfortunately, it's just one of those things that happens. I mean, fortunately, I don't go to too many places now that have issues with calibration. Although one thing that I, I do see fairly often is where they're getting equipment externally calibrated, there is a, sometimes a tendency to take the certificate at face value. Okay, we've got this um, torque wrench, say. It's uh, coming up for, for, for due. We'll, we'll send it out to an external calibration house. Comes back in with a certificate. Yep, fine, tick, back in circulation. But sometimes what, what organizations aren't good at is actually checking that report and seeing whether there was adjustment required. Sure, it's conforming now, but for the, the couple of months before you sent it out, was it being used and was it out of limits? Potentially, you know, and then you've got a problem, right? You know, if, if you've been setting stuff to the wrong torque value, how do you know where that instrument's being used? How long has it been in use when it was in that condition? And I think because they see the the calibration report, it has the accreditation lab tick on the top of it. They think, yeah, that instrument's fine for another year now. And yeah, a few organizations have, have been tripped up on that. Uh, another one uh, is contract review, which I mentioned earlier. So always read the small print is what, what I'd say. So it still surprises me the, the organizations that I go to that, that don't, you know, and, and, and sometimes there's some really critical stuff in there, you know, in terms of uh, where, they, where they're allowed to source material from, the specifications that they have to work in, in accordance with. And by accepting that order, you're, you're saying, yeah, we accept the terms and conditions and, and it carries a lot of risk. So that, that's a common one, things being missed in, in contract review. Yeah, I just had a, oh, it's like, uh, yeah, a contract come through and there's like, yeah, you need to agree to all these supply terms. And you just, if you, you send that, like, yeah, yeah, you just, yeah, because it just takes out. Like sometimes when I was in this big organisation, I won't say who it was, but if you sent it over to the legal team, like before you'd even got it back, the order would have been placed. So yeah, I took it upon myself just to, anyway, yeah, brought about 100 tonne of material that wasn't allowed to come out of Malaysia. <laughs> Non-standard, cut to length. Yeah. For your goods worth. Anyway, started looking for a new job. I knew I'd made a mistake while I was on the water. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And then the, uh, the, the, the final one that yeah. I, I see a lot is an, uh, an ineffective system for corrective action. So uh, where they've found a, a problem, there's maybe been a customer complaint, there's been a finding that I've raised or a customer's raised or something that they, they found themselves internally. Uh, and what they, they've ended up doing is, is putting out the fire, but not figuring out how to stop that fire from happening again. So um, they basically fix the problem, it's gone away, and then it's just happened again and again. And then I look at the, the corrective action report and they haven't really done a root cause analysis. It's been very reactive and it, it's not an effective corrective action. That, that's a very common problem that we see, particularly within aer aerospace. So aerospace, there's, there's an additional requirement that in that scheme, you're not, not supposed to have consecutive findings year on year. If, if you do, it's an automatic major nonconformity against clause 10 for, for corrective action. And I think the, the reason usually is the, the root cause wasn't done well. They didn't get to the true root cause or they were very good at putting out the fire and, and correcting the issue, but they didn't put in a sustainable corrective action for the long term. I suppose it goes back to what you were saying about calibration, wasn't it? You know, if a piece of, piece of kit comes back and it's out and then a year later it comes back and it's out again, it's like either 
buy a new one or you need to do these calibration checks more consistently because you're going to get things that are going to be rejected or out of tolerance. So, yeah, it's just, again, I'm probably only looking at it from smaller businesses to larger businesses. It's not it's not fair to say it, but it's definitely an issue when you're in a smaller business that you just don't have the time or you don't feel like you have the time or resource to spend looking at some of those things. It's a poor excuse, I know. It's a really poor excuse, but not having those people in place to just do it as a full-time job. That's what's quite interesting, that company you spoke about who was working from the bedrooms, how they got those, they implemented it almost, it was almost like one of our values as a business from day one. They want to scale? Yeah, but they they got, they worked to the credit, around the accreditation from the start, which makes their life easier. Now they're bringing three, four, many businesses do what we do, where you, you start, then you grow, then you start trying to, you're bringing it in, at a time you feel like we need to do this now to get to the next bit. But then because you've had like years of doing without, it then becomes a ball anchor, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like someone who's coming to do now is going, well, we've been dealing with oil and gas and now we're going to get into the aerospace. And you're like, well, to get that accreditation is a real big accreditation because you're stuck in your ways, really. You've got to change your whole You've got system. to change the whole system. And then the it's business. almost, well, this is a ball anchor. To how, what is the pinch worth the squeeze then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. You know, sometimes companies don't do things the way they should be doing them and they're sailing a bit too close to the wind sometimes and you'll see it. But I suppose it's it's more like, I suppose it's the reason why, you know, why, why do companies maybe not see it as, as, as important as they should do? And in your opinion, why why should companies be trying to change into that mindset of it should be quality first, really? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about making money and trying to take those orders without doing the checks. You know, why should you be turning into a quality environment where everyone lives, sleeps and breathes it rather than just, it's a bit of paper? Hmm. Aerospace has got to be quality driven. Quality has to come first in, in, in that in industry. Um, Customer satisfaction as well. And I mentioned earlier when you asked me what is quality, you know, customer satisfaction is at the heart of quality. And it's all about um, doing the right thing for, for the customer. And, you know, and, and as a result of that, you should become, you know, ideally you should grow, you should become more, more profitable because you can produce a better product. You can, um, you can respond to the customer's needs. I think that quality should, but then I think like, like also like like I did mention earlier that quality should work with the business. It shouldn't be an add-on. It should be part of the business. And I think within and quality is a big discipline as well. I think quality does have have the scope to make things more efficient, make things more practical. And I mentioned the smaller business that I work with in in, in Melbourne. They like having all their work instructions and procedures documented because when they're out the office, the, the personnel that are in the office, they know exactly what to do. Everything's systemized. And, and you know that if you follow that process, you, you've got all of your ducks in a row and you've got all of the, the evidence that you need to demonstrate compliance. You started writing on LinkedIn about your opinion of lots of different topics. Um, when, a couple of years ago, you started doing that? Yeah, it was in, in 2020, actually. It was during uh, the start of COVID. I just started uh, putting some articles together on LinkedIn. Same time as we started doing the pod, isn't mm. it? It's a bit of a time to reflect and just go, we're going to do something different. So why why did you decide to do that? So I think some of it was probably just boredom. I've been for my, uh, my, my daily walk. I've got my takeaway coffee. You know, there's only so much 
Gran Turismo that I can play in one day. So I'm like, well, you know, what, what do I do now? And um, I think quality sometimes has a bit of a, a negative perception. It's seen as an add-on. It's seen as a, a sort of less sexy part of the business, shall, shall we say. But I, I think it's a really important part of the business. And it doesn't need to be doesn't need to be intimidating. It, it doesn't need to be just, oh, here we go, quality. It's all about documentation and paperwork. You know, I've been to some organizations where you know, I speak to people on, on the shop floor and they're like, oh, quality, it's just all documentation, isn't it? And like, no, it's like so much more than that. It's actually like a really interesting topic once you get into it. You know, it's not just compliance. And within quality, you have things like Lean and Six Sigma. So um, analyzing uh, data and statistics around the product, looking at how you can improve the repeatability of the product. There's the other element of, of quality as well, which is more sort of system and, and process driven. And why I used to love doing internal audits in my first job was I could, you know, one day I could be doing an internal audit with the sales team, looking at how they receive orders, working with design, how do they actually like design a product that meets the customer's requirements. And quality really touches on every part of the business. And that's what I find really interesting about it. And why I want, why I started writing the articles was to try and share that that excitement and that passion that I have for the, for the subject, but also just to demystify it a little bit and make organizations realize that it, it's not something that needs to be overcomplicated. It can be something that, that is actually quite accessible and just to, to demonstrate the, the benefits, really, the, the value that it can add, you know, maybe give them a bit of insight into how they could do things and just try and make it a more interesting subject, really. This podcast is sponsored by Anglo Stainless. Anglo Stainless are a stockholder of pipe fittings and flanges based in the UK. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Anglo Stainless for, well, for many years, actually. Uh, I've experienced the quality of their materials and service firsthand with um, thousands of items in stock from low pressure BSP all the way through to high pressure forge fittings as well as butt weld, hygienic, gaskets, pipes, valves and flanges to suit. They're a great place to find the products you need all in one place. They've got a really experienced team supplying products across the UK and also overseas. But for more details, check out the podcast show notes or give them a call. Uh, They can well recommend it from me and will be a great addition to anyone's supplier network. Order with confidence from the team at Anglo Stainless. But now, let's get back to the podcast. I think it's interesting though, because you know we've obviously, with our business, trying to really push that agenda of using social media for your business, using it for your personal brand and all that kind of stuff. So why did you decide to put yourself out there? Because there's always that kind of trepidation of, mm-hmm. oh, I'll put pen to paper and I'll put it out there. And there's almost like, I, I don't know how it's going to be perceived. But firstly, why why did you do that? And how did you overcome that issue? But then secondly, what was the feedback? So nobody else out there was was really doing it at the time. There the, the may be, I mean, maybe I didn't, I didn't look, search LinkedIn hard enough, but uh, from what I could see, there, there was nobody really out there doing it. I've seen friends that work in like mortgage broking, for example, they, they've done similar stuff. And it's quite, I mean, like mortgage is quite a dry subject really, isn't it? But I'd seen a few um, friends set up accounts on, on social media where they were trying to demystify it, um, giving people, younger people, you know, practical advice on, on money saving and interest rates and stuff like that. And I thought, well, why don't I take that concept and try and apply it to quality and industry? Because there wasn't really anybody out there doing it. Uh, a lot of clients said to me that they find it quite hard to find resources on, on, on quality, but I wanted to make it personal. 
I didn't want to just be the auditor that turns up once a year. Nobody knows anything about me. Just turn up, do the audit, and then I'm, I'm gone for another 12 months. I wanted to, I guess, use it as a way of actually engaging with existing clients a bit more. I re really wanted people to be active in the comments, perhaps you know, sharing examples of best practice and things that they'd seen. And just de demystify the subject, really. And because it's quite, you know, some elements of quality can be a bit dry. Now, somebody like myself maybe finds it interesting. But, I don't think but so. But other people I don't. I don't think it's dry. Uh, <laughs> so I thought I think putting it into a format that's a bit more digestible, trying to put you know a bit more of an in, informal take on it, a little bit of humour in there. Uh, I felt like it was a way of making the subject more approachable. You know, nobody wants to sit and, and read the standard cover to cover or or read a really long-winded article. I thought if I try and make it more conversational. And yeah, it, it seems to have gone down really well. It's got a lot of feedback. It was one of one of my articles was a top trending article in hashtag aerospace manufacturing on LinkedIn. It's uh, it, it's been shared um, numerous times, and yeah, it's it's been really great. It's it, it's I think it's really um, brought a lot of, of good discussion in, in the comments. I've made some new connections from it, and, and actually, it's how my my latest opportunity came about as well was was through LinkedIn. Yeah, no. Okay. No. It's so powerful, LinkedIn. I don't think people realise. No, I just don't think people embrace it at all. I mean, I didn't even have LinkedIn before did Compton Group, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know why I didn't how I was doing business without it. I mean, it's just mm. all of our relationships have come through LinkedIn, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's just a lot so of, powerful. A lot of them, or, or at least been cemented by you know having those conversations on the phone and building a relationship but then seeing you day to day when we were out yesterday we were down with uh van leeuwen and met one of the guys down there and he was chatting to me as if like he was my mate like like my best pal i was thinking i haven't even got a clue who you are but we're connected and because they're seeing you regularly it does it, it you can build that relationship so quickly but um you you started I then got back in contact with yourself because we were pushing obviously this metal magazine and trying to do, you know, similar, you know, try and push out content within the marketplace. So, you know, thanks for doing the first article for us. Um, but you were going to write a few more bits and pieces for us. Did you want to give us a brief insight into some of the other topics that you wanted to push out through the magazine over the next year? Sure. And I'd welcome any feedback on this. Anybody that's listening, uh, if you want to want to get in touch, drop me a message on, on LinkedIn. We'll see what we can do. Um, I think I'd like to talk a bit more in future about corrective actions. Again, I think that's something that some organizations don't do particularly well. I think people that haven't worked in, in quality sometimes aren't exposed to it. So um, perhaps one of my, my next articles might be around how, how, what makes an, an effective corrective action? How do you do an effective root cause analysis? How do you actually implement a corrective action and make sure it's sustained and it works for the business. That would, that would be uh, something that you, you may see very soon. Um, also, a discussion that we, we've had before is around what, what do auditors actually want? Like when an auditor comes to your business, um, what, what's, what's going through their head? apart from what's for lunch, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah those nice songs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think sometimes where the, the, the fear and trepidation comes from with having an audit, I mean, I think first of all, everybody gets a bit, myself included, right? So I mentioned accreditation a bit earlier on in, in this discussion. So believe it or not, we, we do get audited. 
ourselves, who audits the auditors, it's the accreditation bodies. And I've been audited by accreditation bodies before. I've even had a, a witness audit before where I had a, uh, a representative from an accreditation body and a, a representative from industry, from a major aer aerospace prime, actually ride along with me for the whole day. Just, just to make sure they're getting value from, from the scheme, right? Because we're certifying their supply chain. They, they want to make sure that we're actually adding value, that we're picking up on problems, that we're actually holding our clients to account for stuff. And you know, it, was, it was pretty intense. No, I was a bit bit nervous, to be honest, yeah. you know? No, no. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh so you're nervous, but yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah but I, I think everybody, it does get a little bit nervous about being audited because you, you don't know what the auditor is going to be like. You don't know if you're just going to have a really bad day. I was like, oh, I really hope that things go smoothly, that I don't get any difficult personalities during the audit while, while these guys are watching. And, you know, you, I think because it's your work, right, and you have a lot of pride in, in your own work, you're always a bit nervous about showing it to other people. But why I want to write this article about how an audit actually works is so that people actually know what, what to expect. Right. And I think sometimes there's a bit of a misconception as to what auditors are, are actually looking for. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think just finally, um, I just wanted to find out a little bit more about, you know, you're coming away from the role that you've been doing for five and a half years. Yeah. That's a big change. You know, it's, um, you know, you've been doing that for a while. So why now? And what can we expect from you in the coming coming months and years, you know, where are you going with your career now? Sure. So I've been in certification for five and a half years now, and it's been a great experience. I really enjoyed traveling, um, going to different countries, meeting lots of different clients, seeing different industries. I, I think for me, it was a way of getting out of, so I, my, my previous role before that, I just worked for the same company since I left college pretty much and great foundation of experience. It was a great opportunity, but I wanted to go into a role where I actually came out of that and I went into the industry and I could see lots of best practice. I could see how other industries do things. Um, I guess it, it's almost like, like another apprenticeship, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah or industrial tourism, as, as we call it. So it was, it was really, really good. You know, enjoyed my time as an auditor. And I felt like I, I helped a lot of organizations add value through, through the audits, help them reduce risk, help them improve efficiency in, in certain areas. But I think what I missed a little bit was having that accountability to actually fix the problem myself. Now, I jokingly say to some of my clients, well, I've got the easy job. I just turn up and I, I tell you there's a problem, but you have to go away and fix it, right? And uh, I kind of miss that challenge of, of having to solve a problem and, and, and the creative thought process that goes with that. And I felt like after five and a half years, I was ready to go back into industry and take what I've learned back into industry. And I wanted to work with a, a smaller organization that maybe wasn't at that that level of maturity yet. So my new role, I'm working for a 3D printing company in Victoria, in Australia. A relatively new company. They've been uh, trading since 2017, 2018, uh, I believe. Um, mostly mo motorsport customers at the moment. Um, they do work with, with aerospace, defense, um, microelectronics uh, as well. The company's moving 
um, into a different phase right now. So currently they're more of a um, manufacturing as a service type organization. And, and typically their, their customers have been the R&D departments of, of large organizations. But um, now they're, they're looking at uh, higher rate production, actually selling a, a, a product which is, which is manufactured as a series. And with that comes increased requirements for quality and inspection additional certifications as well. That'll be one of my tasks when, when I when I join in a couple of weeks. And yeah, I'm really excited for it actually. I think it's a chance to actually take what I've learned the last five and a half years, um, apply it to this startup organization. And I wanted the opportunity to actually have the autonomy to do that as well. If I'm working for a really, really big company, your responsibilities are very clearly defined. I think this will get me involved in a lot more different things. So I think, yeah, long, longer term, what, what I'd like to do is, um, move into a more, more senior role within quality management and then potentially into operations after that is what I like to do. So there is a little bit of overlap. So quality as well as the compliance side, there's also the improvement side. So Lean and Six Sigma, a lot of that lends itself quite well to a production environment. Great. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, look. Thanks for doing the podcast. Yeah, really yeah. enjoyed it. Thanks my, for your my time. My pleasure. I'll bring some Tim Tams next time. Hey? <laughs> yeah. Cheers, mate. Well done. So what have you learned? A lot. Anything to share with the listener? Yeah, I think it, look, look, when he talks about you need to make it part of your business, don't you? I know it sounds really, you know, like a stupid thing to say, but I think when you do... You know, when, you've, when I've worked in different types of organisations where it's your 5S, your, your ISO, it's, it's really part. It's different to then working for business in certain occasions where it, you start, you think, oh, I've got the order booked in in a couple of weeks. And you're like, you're trying to get up to scratch for it, aren't you? So, you know, he's, he's obviously very, he's not like a normal auditor, if that makes sense. Obviously, I've seen people come in when I was present for a couple of years. Then has to not be. He's, um, you know, he's young, isn't he? He's refreshing, really. I'm not saying all orders are like old, but normally you have a, a preposit. A um, they normally yeah, they tend to fit a bit of a mould, don't they? There's a bit yeah. of a brief to the auditor that comes in, but yeah, I, th- I thought he did a good job. I think he was a little nervous when he first kind of sat down with us, but he warmed up pretty quickly. And again, I think it gave a lot of, a lot of value. I think Andrew's been really he's been really good with getting involved with our publication as well so he's been writing a lot um the metal the, magazine the september edition of the metal magazine is out now um and he's putting together like a little four-part mini series about how to get yourself prepared for an audit if you're a bit like a new business or you're a business that doesn't have that kind of accreditation and the things that you should look at and again as you said mike how you should kind of build it into the fabric of your business so it doesn't become a thing that's just the thing on the side that gets done once a year and you kind of tidy the shop up but yeah good guy check out he's got a hashtag ask andrew he's happy for people to start sending him um questions and queries and things like that online um and i think we'll see a lot more from him i think he's going to really embrace social media and he'll be doing a lot you know in the coming years so yeah it was good to get him uh, get him in the chair and give him a bit of a grilling yeah thank you to our sponsors the uk metal expo amron architectural as well as am uh, as well as amron again <laughs> Anglo stainless. Anglo stainless, yeah. Amro is happy on this one. He got two mentions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, and tune in next week, Tuesday, be next podcast with Flocon. We had Craig and Andy in the chair for that one. Another one that was recorded in 2021, so a little bit out of doubt, I'm afraid, lads. But yeah. Yeah. It's an ongoing theme, this, isn't it? Yeah, season yeah well, two. remember, I said this right in the first oh, episode, here we go. as I'm nibbling away. It's not our full-time job, is it? So, unfortunately, you can't just be doing them, recording them out, recording them out, recording them out. So... That's why we've kind of done them 10 in a row. And hopefully, I think because we're not just throwing them out sporadically, as we've done in the past, hopefully people are to kind of get involved in this season and then we can get more commentary. There'll be more people coming back and forth. I'm not, I'm not biting. I'm just trying to explain, Mike. You know, the explain. foam on the microphone is no longer there. <laughs> He's chopped the hell out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in all seriousness, do get in touch with us. We, we are going to prioritise or put more effort into getting these pods out more frequently for season three so I think the more you can get involved the more you can talk to us about the things that you like about this the things that maybe you don't do so well um, let us know and we'll try and improve and obviously look at both people topic areas and businesses that you want to hear about or learn more about um, and we'll try and make those things those things happen you're right there is a lot of spittle all over this oh yeah jumped big time yeah cheers mate yeah see you next week so uh...